Hello, and welcome to Sexuality Studies Spotlight, a podcast where we highlight what you can do with your sexuality studies degree. My name is Keely, and I'm currently completing a sexuality studies certificate. I'm recording today from Toronto, and we'll be speaking with Fagiswa Tibetse, a writer and storyteller who recently completed her master's in the Gender, Women, and Sexuality Studies program at York University. Fagiswa currently works with a grassroots media organization called The Weave News, which focuses on underreported and underrepresented narratives in our media. Her work also includes focusing on a series called Conflicting Emotions, which deals with Black, Indigenous, and people of color within predominantly white areas. Fagiswa will be sharing a land back acknowledgement before we begin our conversation. So welcome, Fagiswa. Hi, thank you for having me. So my name is Fagiswa, yeah. and I'm recording from Toronto, an area that has been cared for by the Anishinaabeg Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and the Huron-Wanat. It is now home to many First Nation, Inuit, and Metis community, and we want to acknowledge the current treaty holders, the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. This territory is also part of the Dish with One Spoon Wamba Belt Covenant, an agreement to peacefully share and care for the Great Lakes region. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. So how would you like to introduce yourself today? Uh, yes, I think uh, you did a pretty good introduction. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, awesome. And uh, in case anyone wondered, my pronouns are she and her. That's great. I'm glad I did a good introduction. <laughs> um, so what is your relationship to the York Sexuality Studies Program? Uh, yes, so I was completing my master's at the um, York University, and it was under the Gender, Feminist, and Women's Studies program. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it very much. It taught me a lot, and the people there were just so amazing. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. When did you, when did you graduate? Was it um, recently? Yeah, in November, actually, so just a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's very recent yeah so I still feel very tied um to the program for sure yeah definitely um well I talked a bit about your work in the intro but can you tell us a bit about your work um any anything else you want to add about your work or also the research you did during uh, your master's uh yes so the research that I did in my master's I enjoyed doing that work. Um, it was my thesis um, topic was, well, actually, I'm just going to paraphrase, but it was basically exploring um, hegemonic discourses that are shared on social media surrounding femininity. So what it means to be a woman, um, how women carry themselves and what characteristics they hold um, with a focus specifically on Swazi women. So Swazi women are mm-hmm. from Eswatini, a small country in Southern Africa, um, and she's exploring uh, feminism and sexuality and gender in that region. And I thought it was really great to highlight because we hardly um, get to, we hardly have um, literature from that region, especially in that country. So I thought it would be very important to see how, so my two areas that I was studying were um, Twitter and Instagram. So I was looking at how those two areas shape femininity and womanhood uh, amongst young women in the country. 
And so I thought it was very important to see how they have been influenced by, you know, social media and all the discourses mm-hmm. that happen because they extend even like beyond um just the region, you know. So how then other people from other places and areas influence the understanding of gender, their sexuality. Um, I enjoyed that work a lot, a lot, a lot. And I got to, you know, hear people's stories and read about other people's work in the region um, that was influential in my own work as well. Yeah. Was there one particular story that, you know, that stands out for you during during your research, maybe one or, or, or two? Um, yes, I read um, a bit about Zanele Muholi, who is a photographer, South African photographer, and they, you know, they identify themselves as a queer activist. And so they take pictures of different women or gender expressions um, and just try to, you know, disturb that binary understanding of gender that is women and man and uh-huh. feminine and masculine. And those are the like strict banners that exist. So they were taking different pictures of women or um, people who express themselves in different ways. So women mm-hmm. with short haircuts, because typically um, women expected to have long hair, wear dresses. So they would take pictures of uh, women in suits, women with short haircuts, women in button-up shirts, and um, just all those photo, um, photographs that I was seeing and I was referencing and studying in my work, um, I, I, yeah, I definitely enjoyed looking at all of that and learning from the work that they have done as well. Um, yeah, so Zanile Muholi, I'd say, did a great work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. What inspired you to do that as your thesis and and to start researching that something you experienced or or anything like that Mm -hmm. so that's a great question um i'm also myself a user of twitter and instagram and Mm -hmm. every time i would see there's this particular hashtag that a lot of like young swazi people um use which is hashtag swazi women are beautiful and every time I would look at that hashtag. It was the same kind of women that were in it. So, and it was like lighter skinned women with long hair, a certain body type. So like slim, thick. So like with like the curvy shape. Um, So with like big hips and bottom, but like slim waist. Um, They were, you know, they had... um, they weren't looking at different abilities um, or disabilities. Um, and they're all quote-unquote feminine, so with, like, dresses and skirts. Um, mm-hmm. Even if they were wearing pants, it was, like, the tight tight pants that define their bodies or the shape of their bodies. So then I thought, what about the other women that don't look like this? What about yeah. queer women? What about women with disabilities what about dark-skinned women so then um it got me to kind of want to understand what they mean by swasa woman like what what is a swasa woman exactly um by that hashtag yeah what do they mean by that (laughs) 
Yeah, and they were visibly younger. So what does that mean for older women? Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, it brought so many questions, and of course, I could only do so much in in my paper. Yeah. But uh, I just had all these questions um, about it. And who decides this? What shapes this thinking? Um, are there people who disrupt this thinking? So yeah, that that definitely um, made me want to do this work. Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack with social media and sort of what the what young people see on there. And it definitely, like you said, your work was on hegemonic femininities. Um, it definitely has this sort of quality on social media of making people feel like, Oh, well, I don't look like that. Um, Mm -hmm. especially for young, for young people. Um, so did you, was it focused from the Swazi perspective or did you do any, any, um, like Canadian perspectives or American perspectives? Uh, yes. So it was mainly on the Swazi perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. just because, the reason why I wanted to just focus it on that was that, um, you know, femininities are understood differently in different cultures. Yeah. So I focus on this specific culture because, you know, even just body type, um, like preferred body type is different than U.S. or Canadian body type that's yeah. preferred. So, yeah, that um, helped me ground it. But I did, you know, look at how, like global influence does impact the local as well because we can't ignore that fact. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially with like, you know, beauty standards, like well, where do this come from? They don't just come from the air, you know? So there's like Eurocentric beauty standards and that has been influenced by Western culture. Um, so in as much as it was local, I did look at how globally um, it, 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 it affects uh, Swazis as well. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Just in relation to your research or your work with the Weave News, um, maybe what you're doing now, what is an accomplishment you're most proud of? Uh, yeah. So it's interesting because the work I did um, with the thesis, um, I feel like with the Weave News, it kind of complements each other just because I look at different um, sexualities and just understandings of people, the body, etc. So with the Weave News, I'm very proud of how I become, well, not me per se, but just like the Weave News itself, uh, specifically the Conflicting Emotion series, has become such a great platform for people to express themselves and to tell stories and their own narratives of experiences that they've had. And I think that outlet has grown in the past like few months. Um, and I really like hearing the like feedback from writers who have written for us and what they think or feel after writing um, or telling their stories and just hearing them talk about how other people were reading their stories and relating mm-hmm. to, to their stories, how others were reading their stories and feeling like, hey, someone understands. <laughs> um, so just being that platform for people to share their stories, to find solidarity um, and support. Um, has, yeah. Has, yeah, I'm proud of that. I'm proud <laughs> that we, we can do that for people. Yeah, and kind of 
just kind of help underrepresented communities, let them know that there are, you know, representation, other narratives out there. I know when I talked about your introduction, I talked about the Weave News and the series that you work on, Conflicting Emotions, and how that's Mm -hmm. one of the goals. But can you talk more about the series, Conflicting Emotions? Like, is it ongoing? Um, Yes, it is uh, ongoing. And we're always taking submissions on a rolling basis. Um, It's been going on for the last two three years i say and oh okay yeah, so yeah so but the wave news itself has been existing longer than that right. and then the, the wave news then we um created this specific series for black indigenous and people of color to share their experiences both good bad ugly everything <laughs> just <laughs> Uh, and we thought it would be a great platform to, you know, express those frustrations, those triumphs, those worrying thoughts, those um, excitement, because, you know, it's not only bad things that happen. Um, well, not b- bad things, but like bad experiences that happen um, to people of color. It's not. So we just wanted to um, explore all those different experiences and emotions and feelings and just you know letting people know that there's a lot a lot of <laughs> as the title says conflicting emotions that happen um one day you feel good being in the space the next day you feel completely by yourself um and people's experiences differ too right so one person in a predominantly white university could have the absolutely worst time and then another person would have the absolutely best time yeah so just allowing people to share all those different experiences and showing that there's different stories and different narratives and not only just one single story um of people who are in predominantly white spaces yeah and showing more narratives that you don't always see in on other media um yes definitely yeah yeah which is important um, so how did you get involved with the Weave News? Um, actually, I it was started by a professor, Professor John Collins, who was a professor at the undergraduate university that I went to. Okay. And so he does this great work um, with grassroots media. And so I wanted to get involved with that. Um, so he looked at like my resume, I submitted all the work that I've done before because I'd written, um, and I'd written for other publications before. And so he looked at the work that I've done, we talked it through and then he got me on board. And then I started doing all this work because I was very excited about what they stood for and Mm -hmm. all the work they were trying to do in the community. And yeah, and then I got involved as well. Just wondering how um, the sexuality studies, the gender feminist sexuality studies master's degree has helped you, whether it's at the Weave News or in the work you do um, on your your daily work, for example. Oh yeah, um, it has definitely been influential in the work that I do because. Being in that program, it touched on so many important themes and theories that I feel like I wouldn't have been able to get somewhere else. Um, 
it you know I learned a lot on queer theory, critical race theory, on on even like cultural studies and media studies, um, and these mm-hmm. are all things that I use not only in my work but my daily life as well. Yeah, and just understanding even in a deeper level the concept of intersectionality and how that affects and influences us as humans just existing in the world and also in everything that we do. Um, so I yeah, think... And how, how we see the world. Um, and yeah. how we see the world, yeah, <laughs> precisely. Like, for me, intersectionality and learning about some of those theories um, in my first class in... Um, in sexuality studies, you know, my my first level, second level classes, I some of the theories I I had never heard of before. Um, you know, my my other my previous education did not teach me about intersectionality. I learned about it, you know, through my own like through social media and, and through mm-hmm. my own interest. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely changed how I you know race theory, like you said, um, gender intersectionality, learning about all these things has definitely uh, changed how I see the world, I guess, like you put it too, and how we see the world and how we interact with people. And yeah, it's definitely changed how I see things. So I definitely understand that. Um, yeah. yeah. So I definitely did appreciate that. Um, and I think I also got, it was the first time that I actually learned a lot about um, disability studies. Right. Um, even as in-depth as I would have liked it, but I was introduced to it, you know, and then now I can go out and read more about it myself. But I hadn't really learned much about it until I was in this program. So I think there's just so much that's in it that I think some people wouldn't even think about because maybe people think, oh, it's just about sexuality studies. Okay. But there's just so much more that's in this like program so much more that you learn by being in sexuality studies that I think you could easily miss out if you if you if you didn't take those classes yeah definitely it's not just sexuality um like I'm doing a a class focused on um it's called thinking whiteness and it's focused on race theory and specifically whiteness studies and disability as well, um, something that I, I was introduced to as well, like you said. Um, it's so much more than just, you know, sexuality studies. Um, are there any skills you learned or people you met at York that you feel really helped get you where you are today? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I think I'll focus more on the people. First of all, the people in my class, in my classes, um, particularly my cohort, were very influential um, in my studies throughout York. We leaned on each, on each other. We discussed ideas, thoughts, papers, um, and we just guided each other and shared resources with each other, which I thought was really amazing um, to yeah. have that support, you know, and we just we constantly drive each other and, you know, cheer each other on. <laughs> And that was amazing. And then, of course, my professors um, were very helpful. And my advisor, as well as my program director, I think all in all, those people really shaped my experience um, with my schooling at York, and I am very appreciative of that. Yeah, definitely. 
I think with the pandemic, it's kind of changed how like it's not all in person anymore, but Mm -hmm. um, I still find that people are responsive to, you know, meeting and um, just getting to know people, the Zoom classes and everything like that. And and things are going back to the class, I think, in the winter. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I think uh, people are, are like probably more used to the Zoom um, classes. So it should be interesting to have to switch back to in person again. Oh, I know. It's been a year, so people are definitely used to it. But um, I know a lot of people value, you know, like in person conversation. So that would be interesting how everything goes. Nearly two years, if you think about it, because it was like March when things stopped. And yeah. then. True. <laughs> January would be going back. <laughs> oh my god, I know. It feels like it feels like so it feels like so long, but also not at the same time. Time time has been really weird, like the pandemic. It has. Um, I think also, well, the pandemic itself, I mean, that's kind of been tying into what we're learning in sexuality studies too. I mean, how it affects different groups of people and how it affects mm-hmm. um, different groups of people differently. Um, has it affected your work at all? And, oh uh, yeah, I'll answer it in a second. I was just going to say yeah. that um, what I also do like about this program is the fact that it is adaptable and you can like modify it to what's happening currently. Because I know that like some programs or some like um, um, degrees, you can't really do that. You just like focus on like, oh, what has happened? But with like sexuality studies and yeah, it's adaptable. And I really appreciate that because you, as you're learning about all the theories and everything else, you are learning about what's happening right now and how it applies to the day to day that we're living in. Yeah, especially now where there's been such an effect on different communities more than others. Um, And I definitely have taken away from my classes um, things that I really would not have thought about, you know, in that way if it wasn't for those classes. Just wondering um, how you've been doing your your work now. Um, I guess it's mostly online or? Uh, Yes, mostly. um, I would say, yeah, it has affected my work. Um, to an extent because now everything that I read or information that I acquire is online right so like I can't access certain information that I otherwise would have if I went to the libraries or um, in-person places that needed that needed me to go in person to get uh, yeah. because everything was closed or access was denied or limited um I couldn't talk to certain people if, you know, because you need computers and internet to talk to people, um, find information. That limited my work to only people and information that I could access online yeah. um, and through the internet. And true. we know that not everyone has access to the internet. <laughs> um, so true point. even just talking to people, that was limited to a certain demographic and I do think that it would it would have I don't know how or to what extent it would have changed or shaped my research um or any other work that I do but I think it would have if I had access to more than just the internet 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the challenges that we're working through now and we're working with, but so we sort of already talked about this too, about how it gives you a different lens on society and how it kind of has us, you know, see the world in a different way. But Mm -hmm. I guess I'll ask why you think, why do you think it's important to study sexuality and the social world in general? Um, Yeah. That's an important question. Um, And I don't know if I touch on it as we were talking, but I think when we think about it, a lot of the aspects of our lives are shaped by like our bodies, our minds and ourselves through our genders and sex. Um, Even if I was to ask you to just think about something that you do on a daily and think of how that is affected by your gender, by your sex, how you see yourself, how you interact with people, um, as well as it even goes beyond just us as individuals and into the world as a society. Um, Certain expectations that are put on you as a person are categorized by your gender and your sex, um, your reproduction, and it also affects your medical legal, educational, and political systems, um, all those systems that are in place. Um, if you think about how, take, for example, education, um, some people weren't allowed to access education because they were girls. Yeah. And boys could go to school, but girls couldn't go to school. Even legally, you could own land or a house or a car because you're a man, but you can't if you're a woman. And just medically as well, when you start thinking about um, transgender people. So there's a lot that affects our lives and society through gender sexualities. And so I think it's very important for us to study and understand this as much as we can. Um, because it goes beyond than just oh I'm a man or I'm a woman um yeah so I think I I, I do think more and more people should incorporate sexuality studies in in their everyday yeah definitely that's a really good answer because yeah I, I I guess I I thought of it the same way I started getting interested in it because it's true you know gender sexuality identity um all of these things affect daily lives and if more people if more people educated themselves on these topics then um i think it would definitely be a positive thing especially since sexual sexual education and gender education in general you know wasn't really taught to us um at least you know not in my you know high school sort of public education so mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are lacking in this education as well yeah um, I think so I think yeah I think we should also like you said with like high school and public school we do need to start teaching um sexuality studies earlier on and not just wait until college um or university to introduce Mm-hmm. Um, these themes to students, I I do think studying in high school would be uh, much much better. I mean, even younger than that, just like little yeah small ways <laughs> that could be incorporated. Of course, adjusting it to different age groups um would be good. 
as part of just like regular schooling. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think they're talking about that in Canada now, sort of introducing that, but I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on with that now. Um, I know there's some people that are against it and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> that's a, uh, that's uh, something we'll see how that goes. But yeah. sexuality studies, you know, that's another thing is sort of learning things that you that you never knew before that I think are really important. Um, and so what would you tell an incoming sexuality studies student? Any tips or advice or anything? Uh, yeah. So I think, as I'd mentioned before on how important my cohort and classmates were I would say Mm -hmm. that they should lean on their classmates a lot because these people are going through the same thing as they are you know they're taking the same well even if it's not exactly the same classes but similar classes assignments so your classmates could be your greatest resource even if it's not in-person classes there is still a way to create that relationship with your classmates somehow. So I think definitely lean a lot on your um, classmates and then also your professors and your advisors. They're there to help you. They want to make you better. They want to see you excel. So if you don't understand something, so just reach out um, to your professors and talk to them. They're more understanding than you may think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And also, I think it's very important to be open-minded about mm-hmm. anything and everything, especially if you're doing research, because you may have a certain hypothesis, but when you go out and do that research, it is completely turned upside down. And just yeah. <laughs> be open to knowing that what you think might not actually be what is. So hmm. just being yeah. flexible and adaptable to the new information that you get instead of trying to stick with what you thought you knew. Yeah, I know some of the some of the things I learned in yeah, like I said, the first level class, I was like, wait, what? This kind of blew my <laughs> mind because what I thought was, you know, re- actually turned out to be uh, something different than than maybe what I thought on the surface. Once we actually mm-hmm. dug down into it and, and thought about it and studied it and read more about it, like it, some of the stuff really kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, yeah. And I guess we're getting towards the end. Um, is there anything mm-hmm. else you'd like to share or emphasize before we before we conclude? Um, yeah, I think this goes for both sexuality studies, students and just people in general. Um I think it's important to be willing to both learn and unlearn because Mm -hmm. I think we all grow up, you know, being fed certain biases and prejudices and then we carry this with us. But then at a certain point, you need to be open to learning new things and unlearning old habits. And I think that what makes us better people because no one is perfect, right? We're all just trying to be better people. Yeah. so I think that is important for us to, to open ourselves to learning new things and unlearning all things. Yeah, unlearning definitely um, has been one of the key things for me in yeah. you know, my volunteer work and also in, in sexuality studies. Um, things, like I said, 
I thought were one way. Mm-hmm. I had a bias. I definitely, you know, even if it was an unconscious bias. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're all trying to learn and, and be better people. So. And just being patient with yourself, you know, you yeah. may make mistakes <laughs> as you're definitely. trying to learn and then just be patient and just try to be better. I think. Um, so the final question, where can people go to find out more about you or the work that you're doing? Uh, yes. So first of all, with conflicting emotions, you can visit the Weave News. So um, that would be at www.weavenews.org. And then you see different tabs and then other under series, there's conflicting emotions there. And you can read about the different work that we do. You can read the different stories that are being told and shared in that platform. Um, I would definitely encourage people to read that and comment. And then for the different work that personal work or personal blog that I have, it's www.com figiswati.com so f-i-k-i-s-w-a-t.com and this is my own personal blog where I just share you know thoughts or I I write about um, certain topics and I also have this series called Colors of the Rainbow where I highlight uh, profiles of people there and what they do Um, so yeah, you can check that out. Oh wow, awesome! I'll definitely check some of some of them out, and um, I guess also we'll put that we'll put those links in the show notes. I think so everyone can go below and click the links and check everything out. I'll definitely be checking it out. Um, sounds really interesting. Um, and thank you so much for for joining us. Thank you for talking about your experiences and um, and your work and your research and. Thank you for taking the time to to chat with me. Thank you for having me. This was actually fun. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> awesome. Okay, I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sexuality Studies Spotlight. This podcast was made possible through support from the York University Sexuality Studies Program, Innovation York's Knowledge Mobilization Unit, and the Media Creation Lab at Scott Library. We would also like to thank all of our hosts and guests for sharing their stories with us. This podcast was produced on the traditional territory of many Indigenous nations, and we invite our audience to visit nativeland.ca to learn more about the land where they're listening. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us in the next episode.